1: It is so great to have you along with us on Afternoons with Mike Hurd-Daily here on The Shepherd. I had a chance uh, a little over a week ago. I invited her back because I wanted to do a bit of a deeper dive into this new book that she has. I find it very interesting. So, Erica, welcome back to the program.
0: Mike. It's so fun to be
1: here two weeks in a row. I know. It's really great. Uh, Again, I I, uh, had this scheduled a lot of times. It is so great to be able to touch base with an author and just learn about the particular project that they're working on. And any one of the the segments that we do here on the program works well for that. But your story was intriguing, uh, to say the least, into how and the the wise, but one of the things that we didn't get to up front was uh, your your story, your own personal story. You did share a little bit about your hunger for God and the frustration that I we even talked about how that many people they really don't know how to read the Word, or when they do read the Word, they're kind of uh, maybe it's still not understanding everything they read if they don't have the right tools or haven't been discipled. All of those things are factors but how is it in your own life that you even had that hunger? How did you first come to know the Lord?
0: Great question. Uh, so my testimony is a little, um, oh goodness. I'm not sure what the word is. Uh, I would, I would honestly tell you Mike that, uh, for many years I was embarrassed about my testimony. Um, I grew up in a home where uh, there was a lot of dysfunction between my parents. Uh, My father was what uh, experts, I guess, would call a functional alcoholic. Uh, He always held a job. He was actually very successful at his job. But on the weekends, um, he pretty much just let down his guard and Uh, Drank a whole lot, and by the weekend evenings, there was a lot of strife in our home. Mm -hmm. And I started going to a Christian school. My parents put me in a Christian school uh, in junior high, which was a little bit ironic because we didn't really ever go to church. Uh, But they put me in this Christian school, and I hadn't grown up in church, and so I didn't know much about the Bible, but I had. These teachers that were teaching me all of these new things about the Bible. And I remember one particular class I had in seventh grade, and we were actually working our way through the Gospels. And he was explaining to us uh, who Jesus is and helping us try to understand his miracles. And I remember sitting in that class and saying, to God saying to Jesus, I'll believe that you're real, uh, that all these things that you say about yourself are really true if you fix my family. Mm. And, you know, it's such an audacious thing to say to the Almighty God. And and the only thing I can say about that is, you know, God in his wonderful mercy knew that my 13-year-old little heart, uh, desperately wanted him to be real and wanted him to be true I so wanted to believe that the that the miracles and the compassion and the unconditional love that Jesus talked about in his gospels could actually really be mine and, mm-hmm. an, and an actual thing in my own life and God in his um, great mercy did fix my family uh, my father um, Stopped drinking. He rededicated his life to the Lord. Uh, He ended up becoming an elder at our local church. Our family went back to church uh, full time. Um, And my father became one of my very best friends uh, until he passed away almost 10 years ago now. Mm. Um, And so God did answer that audacious little prayer from a 13 year old girl and healed my family. And I knew he was real. Um, I had no doubt that the circumstances behind that were in direct response to that cry of my heart to say, please be real. Please show yourself real to me in my doubt and in my questioning.
1: You know, your story really is, I believe, a hopeful one. It's helpful and hopeful for people who might be just like you. I think a lot of people are finding themselves, a lot of young people, uh, attending because their parents wanted them to a Christian school because a lot of parents, whether they're believers or not, they are street smart enough to realize that there's something good about a Christian education. There's something good and perhaps present in a lot of the Christian schools that would not be present in just every public school. Uh, So I think a lot of kids, there are a lot of students enrolled in, in these kinds of schools that they don't know the Lord. They don't have a personal relationship. And as with you, you didn't even have a frame of reference about what this whole thing that you're going and you're hearing. And I'm sure that was very confusing in the beginning to hear or talk that you never heard anywhere else or hadn't heard in your life up until that point. Very
0: much so. And I I mean, I remember sitting in you know, Bible class. We had Bible class every day and, and the teacher telling us to, you know, turn here in the Bible and turn there in the Bible. And I, you know, it was literally all Greek to me. I had no idea how the Bible was even structured. And a lot of the kids at the schools, you know, they'd gone to church their entire lives. And so mm-hmm. for them to flip around the Bible was no big deal. And I just remember feeling so out of sorts. And I think there's so many people in the church that feel that way. You know, they don't know the Bible. They don't know where to start. They don't understand how it's even organized, why there's all these different books. And so my heart just feels for them because I remember being in that place and just feeling so intimidated and like I was the only one who didn't get it and didn't know. And uh, that's, you know, that's not a fun feeling.
1: What was um, your uh, social scene like? Did you have friends that, let's say, uh, either were supportive of you and maybe tried to help you understand some of these things? Did that happen?
0: Uh, yeah, I definitely had good friends that that walked me through things. And uh, the particular Christian school that I went to at the time, uh, eighth grade was a big transition year where they had, students go through very intense religious education classes, and so that was my experience as well. And so pretty much by the time I got through eighth grade, I, I had a, a good grasp of the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting, though, and what I think a lot of people experience is I came out of that with this understanding of Jesus paying the penalty for my sins. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. But what I wasn't taught and what I didn't truly understand was the necessity of surrendering to him. I was taught I had to have faith in him. I had to believe that he really was the son of God. I had to believe that he died on the cross. And so the gospel itself became a a transactional message, right? Like Erica was going to hell, but then she believed in Jesus. So now Erica's going to heaven. Um, It was a very transactional message. Mm -hmm. But what I didn't understand was that it was also meant to be a transformational message and that Erica's life was supposed to look fundamentally different now that Jesus was part of it. And Erica was no longer the CEO of her life, right? But right. Jesus was supposed to be the CEO of my life. And I was supposed to be following him and living in constant communication with Jesus about how, how I should live and the decisions I should make. And so for many years as a believer, it was like, Okay, know who Jesus is, and I know he died for my sins, and I have some understanding here of some basic biblical principles, but I'm not living in a way where I am in constant relationship with him, to where I'm talking to him. I'm expecting him to actually speak to me through Mm -hmm. his word and make his will clear in my life. Or inviting the Holy Spirit to convict me and speak to me in regards to different situations. And that didn't come in my life until much, much later, Mike, really when I started to begin to intensely study scripture. And that's when that level of intimacy with Jesus began to occur.
1: Now you've mentioned these two great terms as a kind of uh, kind of looking at them from two different sides, thinking first of all that it's a transactional type of thing that if you do this, you'll get this, and that leads does it not that leads people into this uh, doing it by their own strength, by their own power, maybe even by their own understanding, uh, versus what God teaches in the Word and is not necessarily to every brand new believers so apparent that it is transformational and they're able to do all of those things because of the fact that they are now new creatures before the Lord, new creations. And that is something that is really a big, big picture thing that you just have have to have a little bit of help, I believe, from the Holy Spirit. He helps us in our weakness. He helps us. He shows us. He reveals things. Uh, But for a young girl trying to sort all this out, I am sure that you had your issues with trying to get your brain around that one.
0: Absolutely. And and honestly, Mike, I mean, isn't that the whole story of humanity in relationship to God, right? And that's exactly what we see in an unexpected revival in this whole study with the people in Ezekiel's time and God. And they viewed their relationship with God as very transactional, right? We follow all these rules, we check all these boxes, we offer all of these sacrifices, and then God blesses us. And that was their I that was their concept of how a relationship with God was supposed to work. And God's saying, No, 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 I'm gonna give you a new heart, I'm gonna give you a new spirit. And you're going to experience intimacy with me, and we're going to have this closeness. And it's not about, it's not transactional, it's transformational. I am going to come and dwell in you so that we cannot be separated. Um, And that was just mind blowing to Ezekiel and the people of his day. They couldn't wrap their minds around such an intimacy with the Almighty God. And that why that's a big part of why the whole study is called an unexpected revival, because the way that God would bring revival to his people was something that they couldn't even mentally grasp. Right. And how can we I mean how can we mentally grasp, fully mentally grasp this completely holy, majestic, almighty God who is, has absolutely no sin and is perfect in all of his ways, who desires to dwell among sinners, right? We can't wrap our minds around that, but God insists that it's true in his word and that he alone is the one that can make a way for that to happen in our lives. And so, um, yeah, I think that's, at the end of the day, that's where we all, as frail humans, we struggle because we can't wrap our minds around how this perfect God, who is perfect in all of his ways, would unconditionally love sinful humans. And we want to somehow get a little better and clean up our acts a little more or feel like, well, if I'm checking all the boxes, then I'll just be more acceptable to God. And God says, no, you just don't understand. Like, I love you so much and I love you no matter what. And I don't expect you to be perfect. And that's exactly why I came, because I know you can't be Um There's so much freedom in that and so much comfort when we make mistakes and don't understand and do the wrong thing and mess up again.
1: What is really sad to me, Erica is that when I realize that there are so many people that we go to grocery stores with, or we may live in the neighborhoods alongside, and many of these people are just like what you were as that 13-year-old young girl. They really have no history, no foundation, no baseline for understanding anything about the Bible at all. In fact, they hear it maybe a couple of times a year, like at Christmas or Easter. They just have no baseline that connects that to the Bible.
0: Yes. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, we overthink it a whole lot, Mike. And instead of just sharing our story, you know, we think that we have to come up with this, you know, three theological points to, uh, you know, to support our thesis that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And we feel like somehow we have to preach a sermon in order to be able to share. And in reality, you know, we just need to go through life and talk about Jesus and talk about what he's doing in our lives the same way that we talk about our spouse or our mom or our child or our sister or our best friend. Um, we're spending time with Jesus in his word. We're spending time with Jesus in prayer. Just talk about that process in your life. Talk about uh You know, I can easily talk about my life as a young teen and living so frightened because the people that were supposed to have all of the answers seemed the most angry and confused to me. Mm. And that was frightening for me as a child. And then meeting Jesus and his word and how incredibly certain of who he was and why He came and what the future held, and He spoke about the future with such confidence, and He spoke about God and how present He was and how I could talk to God about anything that I needed and how that just brought me so much comfort in my confusion. I'm just sharing my story. You you don't have to agree with it. You don't have to believe everything that I say, but it's my story. And so it becomes very difficult for someone to argue with me about that. Uh, Just the other day, I posted on Facebook uh, about our family, and uh, both of our children are adopted they were adopted at birth and i shared something on facebook about how grateful i was that both of their birth mothers chose life yes and they could have chosen something different but they didn't they chose to give my two children life and and they will always be heroes to me because of that and if they had not made that choice i would not have the privilege of being a mom And that's just my story. And I'm not putting anything on Facebook that, you know, you shouldn't be anti-abortion. I'm not putting anything on Facebook regarding abortion. I'm just sharing my story. And if we as believers can just share our story, those moments where God came through, those moments where a prayer was answered, those moments where God revealed himself to you, those moments when somebody from your church showed up at your door at just the right time, or the money arrived in the mailbox, or whatever it is, just share those stories about God's faithfulness in your life. And that is all we need to share for people to begin to say okay, tell me more about this God that you
1: serve. Let's hold it it right there. I've got to take a break, Erica. I'm with Erica Wiggenhorn. She's from Phoenix. We'll be back with her in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. So enjoy the chat here with uh, Erica Wiggenhorn. She is from Phoenix, an author, a speaker. Uh, She ministers to ladies all over the place and has uh, really traveled to different parts of the country, uh, sharing the word of the gospel. And I really think that uh, that deeper look into your testimony, that's what we were talking about, about uh, the simplicity. If someone just can share with their friends over a cup of coffee uh, or in a, uh, a ride to uh, the grocery store, if you, people shop together, it can happen at just about anywhere at any time. A very innocuous conversation can take place that changes someone else's life. That is the power of one's sharing what Jesus has done in their life. It, it They can't believe it, that it has that much power. I mean, I, I think we're all that way. We would think, well, what what would that do if I share what the Lord did for me? How How can that help anybody else? They're not going through what I went through. It's just not true. The Lord uses that. And he uses it time and time again. He used it in you and he's still doing that. And I'm, I'm finding that I, I'm believing that there are ladies right now who have really been struggling with some of the very things you did. Maybe questions about feeling like there must be something wrong with the way I think or there may maybe the way I process. I just don't get it. And when they hear you talk, they go, oh, wow, wait a minute. Yeah, I do. And that's so helpful when people share their testimonies like you're talking about. Thank you for doing that.
0: Yeah. You know, I was speaking at a group of women probably about a month ago, Mike, and there was a woman there, and she, this particular church, had just finished going through one of my Bible studies, Unexplainable Jesus. And this woman walked up to me, and she said, um, I just want to share with you Uh, my story of how I ended up here. And I said, Oh, well, I, you know, I would love to hear it. And she said, well, you know, I just finished this study. Um, I put my faith in Jesus uh, after week four. Um, But I had never been to church before coming to this study, but my friend had invited me to come to Bible study with her probably five or six times. And I always said, no, but about a year ago, she got cancer. And as I watched my friend walk through cancer and the peace that she had through that process, I kept asking her, how are you so calm about this? How are you so calm about this? And every time she would say to me, I'm not calm. It's Jesus being calm in me. Mm. And so after watching her walk through that, and then she told me that her church was going to do a study on Jesus, she asked me if I wanted to come again. And I said, yes, because I knew Jesus really did make a difference in her life. And now I'm a follower of Jesus as well. Mm -hmm. And I just, my eyes just filled with tears as she's, Sharing this with me, because, Mike, I think so often when we go through things in life as believers, our first instinct is, God, what am I supposed to be learning through this? What are you teaching me through this? Why do I have to go through this? What do I need to learn, right? Mm -hmm. And I think if we could wrap our minds around it, like, I don't know why. Sheila had to get cancer, and I don't know why she. what Sheila was supposed to learn when Sheila got cancer, but what I do know is that when this woman watched Sheila go through cancer, it led her to know that Jesus was real, mm-hmm. and I think sometimes others have to watch us go through what we go through, not so that we get it. But so they get it, and sometimes God is asking us to go through things so that those watching us get it. And this this friend of Sheila's got it, and she became to know the Lord as a result of it, and said, "Yes, I do want to go to Bible study because I want to know who this unexplainable Jesus is." Um, and she put her faith and trust in Him. Mm. And so, sharing our stories about what Jesus is doing in our lives might seem small to us, but there are other people out there who are watching us go through it, and in the process, they're going to get it, that Jesus is real, and he makes a difference in our lives.
1: He surely does, and this is very inspiring and very encouraging, even in my own heart. As I'm hearing you, I'm reminded of the fact that Every one of us, I don't care how long we've known the Lord or what we do for a living, it is possible at any given day, at any given time for discouragements to come. And someone could feel in that moment alone and maybe confused. And then comes along a friend. Here comes a friend. And that friend has just a bounce in their step and a smile, a big smile on their face. And they have a word that is just so encouraging. And just a simple word from a friend like that in a moment like that can be all the difference in the world and really change that perspective of that person on that particular day. That's really the truth, isn't it?
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, My friend Kathy calls those people Jesus with skin on. (laughs) Um, You know, you just know that they've been sent by God in that moment to just give you that extra boost of encouragement or to reset your perspective. Um, And that's why, you know, that's another reason why, honestly, I am so passionate, Mike, about women uh, getting involved in Bible study and in small groups with other women so that they can begin to build these kinds of relationships with these kinds of women uh, you know, over the course, my husband and I have been married. We actually celebrated our 29th wedding anniversary yesterday and we have lived in four states. Thank you. We've lived in four states and every time we've moved, I didn't know a soul uh, when we moved and getting involved in a women's Bible study Every single time has been that place where I have met those women who love the Lord, who are a text away when I need prayer, who will bring me that go-to verse or that go-to passage of scripture when I'm struggling, who are willing to pray for me, to pray for my children, to pray for my marriage. Um, And and that's just a whole other reason why I'm so passionate about women's ministry, women's Bible studies, women's small groups, because we need those sisters in Christ
1: Mm -hmm. to
0: come alongside and be those people in our lives exactly like you just talked about.
1: And I think it's also very true that we need in our lives, whether we realize it in this moment or not, we need people in our lives that are not anything like us and maybe don't know the Lord at all. We need to be used. Uh, that's something that is part of our purpose. We need to share. I think of Jesus' words in uh, the first chapter of, of the book of Acts where he is ready to ascend and he looks at his disciples And he said, you will be my witnesses. So that's something that we need to see that we need now, Uh, even though we think we don't know enough or we are not eloquent enough or whatever, we need to share with others, especially people that don't know the Lord at all. We need to share the story of what God has done in our lives and to be a witness for the Lord. That's something we need as much as they need it. We need it too.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's easy for us to forget, or maybe some of us, honestly, you know, my children, they've gone to church, you know, in the infant carrier at two weeks old, right? They've never lived life the way I lived the first 13 years of my life, where there was nothing of God in my life. Um, they don't even know what that's like to to go through life and to try to form a concept of your own identity or a concept about the world or where you find safety or where you find meaning or where to go look for pleasure. I mean, all of these things that are taught within the framework of a Christian worldview, some of us, we haven't. It's been so long that we've known God that we can't really even wrap our mind around what it would be like to face life circumstances mm-hmm. without God. Um, you know, I saw that a lot in the COVID crisis, right? Uh, Christians were were talking a lot about you know faith over fear, faith over fear, and almost to a point where it was like if you lived in fear, uh, rather than being compassionate about that, it was a matter of, well, you know, you live in fear because you've rejected God and and shame on you. And um, we could move into that mentality. And I think it's a great reminder when we open up the Gospels that when people were really confused about who God was, or what to believe about him. What we see in the Gospels with Christ is that he, he showed compassion. Mm-hmm. It says Jesus felt compassion. And we need to feel compassion for these people that they may feel like the enemy because they're so belligerent, or they're angry, or uh, they seem like they're so anti-God in so many ways. But the reality is, is a lot of those emotions like anger and revenge and hatred, you know, all of those things co- are born out of fear. And ultimately, these people are very afraid because they don't have real answers. Mm-hmm. And I think if we can remember that, we can remember where that's coming from, that anger. Uh, it's coming from fear. And and they Ought to be afraid because it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God without coming first in repentance. Scripture is very clear about that. Mm -hmm. But we have hope, we have the answer, and it's Jesus. And just talking about Jesus as a friend and who he is, um, there's nothing preachy about that. That's just simply sharing the difference that he's made in our lives. And they are afraid. And they need the answer to that fear.
1: You know, the Lord tells us over and over that we are to follow him, to be connected to him. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And we are really, we're to live and become more like him in our lives. And I remember one time hearing a pastor say something, it had a profound impact on my life. And it really goes along with what you've been telling us. He said, what moved Jesus whatever moved Jesus is what needs to move us. And he went and he, he said, you know, storms did not move Jesus or financial need that, that really was no problem for the Lord. He, he had an end that really didn't touch him in the way that we read, but what, what moved his emotion, what touched him? And he said, you know what it is? It was people. It was the, the broken people of the world that he came in contact with or his own people. When he looked over Jerusalem Or when he was thinking about his friend Lazarus who had died and he was moved. And the Bible says he looked on them and he was moved with compassion. The very word you said. That's what moves Jesus, is people in need. And if there could be a prayer that we could have today that I believe would make a difference in our lives, it would be, Lord, let me be moved by what moves you. And If it's a woman that uh, for the ladies that are listening that could take part in a Bible study like what Erica puts together or for a guy who's in a men's group, we need to be moved to care for people, to share our story as simple as it may be, because it may be the the very thing that unlocks that answer that they're looking for in their own heart. Yeah, you know, I'm so glad you
0: said that, Mike. One of the things, uh, one of the days in an unexpected revival that it goes right along with what you're saying is, uh, there's an exercise and I ask the reader to write, there's a big giant heart on a page. And I ask the reader to fill that heart up with all of the people and all of the things that weigh heavy on their heart. And then on the opposite page, there's another heart. And I invite them to sit and ask Jesus to reveal to them the things and the people and the burdens that are heavy on Jesus's heart and to ask them to just listen for what Jesus reveals to them. Mm -hmm. Because I think we get so busy, we get so caught up in our lives with all of the things that that burden us, right? And scripture tells us to cast our cares upon him because he cares for you. But there is an adventure that awaits us in an unexpected revival when we move from simply unloading all of the cares on our own heart to allowing the heart of Jesus to speak to us about the things that burden his heart and the things that move his heart, Mm -hmm. and to invite us into that space with him. Because we know Jesus tells us that he is always at work, just like the Father is always working. And he is inviting us into that work. And Jesus works miracles. Jesus does the unexplainable. Jesus does incredible things that blew people's minds, right? And Jesus, this is the work that Jesus is inviting us into if we will just be quiet enough to Mm -hmm. listen and allow him to speak. And that's such a big part of an unexpected revival is moving from, Jesus, let me tell you all the things on my heart, to Jesus, come and speak to me about your heart so that I can be invited into the incredible work that you're doing in my corner of the world. And that is exciting stuff right there. I mean, that's the book of Acts, right? Like we see God doing awesome, amazing things. And, you know, it's kind of like Henry Blackaby said in his study, you know, look, look where the spirit of God is moving and then go there. (laughs) Yes. We're not going to see the spirit of God moving. We're not going to sense the spirit of God moving until we take that pause and invite Jesus to reveal his heart to us.
1: My guest today is Erica Wiggenhorn. She is an author of a book study, a Bible study on the book, on the life of Ezekiel. It does cover the book of Ezekiel from the Bible. And uh, she leads Every Life Ministries from Arizona. And uh, this book about Ezekiel, we're going to talk about that in our upcoming segment. Erica Wiggenhorn is my guest. Don't go away. This is Afternoons with Mike, and you're on The Shepherd. I'm on the line today with Erica Wiggenhorn, segment three here. Erica, how can people get a hold of information about you, find out about your book titles, Bible studies, etc.? Give us your web address.
0: Yeah, it's just my name, which is kind of a mouthful, Mike, so I'll (laughs) spell it for you. Uh, It's EricaWiggenhorn.com, and that's E-R-I-C-A-W-I-G-G. E-N-H-O-R-N, ericawiggenhorn.com.
1: That's right. And we've talked about the fact that you write these these Bible studies, these book studies uh, for uh, and through Moody, and that is so exciting that they distribute your books. Uh, they are wherever books are sold, as they say, uh, and they, you can get this one. Now, this newest book that you're, you've mentioned that we're talking about is called An Unexpected Revival on the life and on the story of Ezekiel. And I uh, I just appreciate the fact that uh, this is on a Bible study, uh, one of the major prophets, obviously, in the Old Testament. Uh, Ezekiel is one of these bigger-than-life characters that many people hear his name, and yet I would be willing to bet that there's a lot of adults that are listening right now that really only know him for a few things and you've given us a bit of a deep dive into it. So let, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions here. First of all, what made you want to look into the book of Ezekiel when you thought about this? What What was the, the draw that got you into this study?
0: Yeah, well, that's kind of a funny story, actually. Uh, it didn't start out funny, but I was going through... A real dark time in my life, my father had been diagnosed with cancer. Uh, we had just relocated across the United States, and I had joined a women's Bible study to try to make some new friends and find that anchor for my soul in the midst of the chaos. Uh, my husband's career is very, very demanding, and so I had two little ones at home all day and um At the time, I just felt like the study that I was doing was just trying to sell me Jesus, right? Like, just, you know, just come to Bible study and open up your Bible every day, and Jesus will just fix everything and make life great. And I remember sitting and saying to the Lord, um, you know, does it ever grieve your heart that we don't just want to know who you are as our father. We just always want something from you. And I remember praying that to God. And in that moment, as I was praying, I just sensed the Lord say to me, study the book of Ezekiel and write down everything that I show you. And I had no idea, you know, anything about the book of Ezekiel. I had never read it and I sort of brushed it off. And, you know, I don't have a lot of those clear-cut moments where I really sense like God is specifically telling me to do something. Uh, But as God often does, he would not let it go. And so my pastor began quoting from the book of Ezekiel. People would call into radio stations and say their name was Ezekiel. And then my son, who was two at the time, threw this whopping tantrum in the grocery cart and I ran into the end cap only to have like 15 loaves of Ezekiel bread fall all over the floor, and I just (laughs) laughed. So I came home, and I opened up my Bible, my study Bible, and I just began to read the little introduction to kind of explain who Ezekiel was and what the book was about, and it literally jumped off the page at me, Mike, because it said, God's heart was grieved, because the people of Israel only wanted his blessings, but they didn't want him. Yeah, And it was exactly what I had prayed to God. And and I sensed the Lord just kind of nudge in my heart again, the Holy Spirit say, study this book and write down what I show you. And so I knew God had Spoken in that moment, and I couldn't disobey. And so I just got out my little spiral notebook and I started writing it out verse by verse on the left side and just asking questions and making notations on the right side and asked my pastor to recommend some commentaries. And that was really how I started studying this book. And, you know, it's such a crazy, wild book with all of these visions and parables.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, Ezekiel literally like, you know, it's almost like he's got his little uh, briefcase and he walks around and he acts out all these charades. And, you know, you're like, what in the world is going on? Um,
1: and, you know, I think well, about the, the, his context, the day in which he lived was a, a very divided day. I mean, the, the people of God had been torn into two kingdoms and it was a tumultuous mm-hmm. time, really. And it, it was a, a very divided time, just like what we're living in today. Uh, a lot of division, a lot of angst. And here comes this guy with these big visions uh, who who was able to see things and others go, what? <laughs> what, what, is, what are you saying? It's Crazy.
0: Yes. Yes. You know, it's fascinating to me because part of my background was is I was, A teacher. And in my graduate work, we studied about how people learn across cultures, across languages. And one of the common denominators was that if you could get people to feel something, they were so much more likely to mentally engage with it and process it and be able to uh, implement. This knowledge that you were giving them into their practical reality. And so I find it so fascinating that when you go through the prophecies of Ezekiel, Mike, that is exactly what God does Mm -hmm. with every single thing that he says. It's like he's reaching out his hand and palpably grabbing our heart to say, I want you to feel what I'm saying I want this to penetrate beyond just your head, beyond knowledge. I want you to experience the emotion of this. Mm. And that's what's so fundamentally beautiful about the prophecies of Ezekiel is it's God just saying, feel what I feel. Come close enough to really hear my heartbeat for you and understand how deeply I love you. And that's what I love about it, because, and that's a big reason why it's so much about revival, is it's God saying, I'm going to give you a new heart. We're going to just shake things up in such a way that you're going to experience me as mm. your loving father in ways you never have before.
1: Mm. There's a real call for intimacy in that, isn't it? When God reaches down through his, his servant, as he did with Ezekiel. And he's reaching actually through him and his words and calling out for the people to come to him. What a lesson to learn in that. What, you know, use the word revival. We talked about this in uh, the, the last visit that we had together. And revival is something that we know that it really takes the Lord to bring it. We just can't announce that we're going to have it and it would be a, a true revival. But what do you think it is that, that is a hindrance in a lot of our churches today that would keep revival from breaking out where there's not not really that real sense of intimacy there what what's going on with that
0: yeah great question so in ezekiel's day the problem was is that the people had very specific ideas of what god needed to do and and what it had to look like in order to for revival to break out. So they believed that there had to be political reform, right? That the right king had to sit on the throne. Maybe we could say the right person needs to sit in the Oval Office in America. Uh, So they had political reform was a big part. Uh, A second thing that they believed needed to happen for revival was um, religious reform. They felt that it would emanate from the temple. That would be the only place that revival could come. And I think a lot of us believe, you know, it's got to be my denomination that's got to spark revival. It can't be the church down the street. It's got to be my church. Um, So we have ideas today as well, as far as if revival is going to come to America, if revival's revival is going to come to the church across America, what it what it needs to look like. Mm-hmm. And what God was saying to his people is, no, there's nothing. There is no circumstance that can stop me from bringing revival. I can put a new heart in you. I can bring a new spirit uh, regardless. Regardless of circumstances. So do not try to put me in a box because the moment you try to put me in a box, you have instantly made me too small. That's essentially what God is saying. And so I think the hindrance that we have today is the same thing that the people of Ezekiel did. We have definite ideas. We've got to have, um, you know, the people in governmental positions that we think are godly, and we've got to have um, you know, a million people in the church pews. And in, actual, in actuality, God brings revival to hearts. He doesn't bring revival to institutions. He mm-hmm. brings revival to hearts. And as hearts are revived, institutions are impacted. Yeah. But revival doesn't start in an institution. It starts in the heart of God's children.
1: You know, I think about that very thing. There was a song years ago, and I've been privileged in my life to see what I I believe was a real revival, and it was the Jesus movement of the '70s, where it began out there with Billy Graham and Explo's uh, '72, I believe it was, and uh, there was this just move that happened across the country, and people were coming to the Lord, and worship was forming in the hearts of people. Uh, but there was a song that came somewhere in there that that basically said this: "Let it begin with me what an what mm-hmm. an what a dear prayer that is that if we were to pray that all of the believers who are listening to you today and talk about revival and our our longing for revival and our need to be revived in God and what happened in the life of uh, Israel as uh, under Ezekiel. Uh, if we were to just to begin to pray, Lord, let revival begin in me, revive my heart, revive my faith, revive me to other people, that would uh, that might bring some surprising results, right?
0: Amen. Something unexpected, maybe. <laughs> yes.
1: Oh, that is so good. The book is called Unexpected Revival, and uh, you're uh, kind of like the subtitle for it is this experiencing God's goodness through disappointment and doubt. And that is a really neat kind of curveball right there. I think your subtitle kind of is a little uh, maybe unexpected in itself because those two things aren't necessarily associated with what I would think of or what we might think of as revival. But God uses disappointment and doubt. Sometimes some of the biggest. Uh, Times of of growing close to God in my life came through difficult times, disappointing times, times where I felt uh, really not able to hear from God at all. And it was in that moment, boom, the the Spirit of God moves in an unexpected way. Give us your website one more time.
0: It's ericawiggenhorn.com. That's E R I C A W I G G e-n-h-o-r-n.
1: And you uh, ladies can get this book and begin uh, looking at it, talk to your pastors about uh, possibly starting a ladies Bible study in your church, but that's what you're seeing happen. And it's pretty cool. And it's really exciting. And you've done a lot of legwork for people. This uh, is going to be a great thing. And can't tell you how much fun I've had talking with you today, Erica.
0: Likewise, Mike, it's been a real, real joy.
1: Well, we'll have to have you back on the program in the future. And again, one more time, that book is Unexpected Revival by Erica Wiggenhorn. It's published by Moody, and you can get it online at Amazon or any other place like that. Or go to Erica's website, ericawiggenhorn.com. Friends, thanks for being with us today, and we'll see you next time, right here on Afternoons with Mike.